Welcome to Pod Sing Say, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast where every week we watch and discuss episodes of Avatar The Last Airbender. I'm your host, Jen, joined by my co-hosts, Steph, Nicole, and Abby. Today, we're discussing Book 1, Episode 12, The Storm, from the Avatar Wiki. Sokka accepts a job from a local fisherman to make money, and the man accuses Aang of abandoning the world. In the large ensuing storm, Aang recounts to Katara the event of his dark past. After being told he was the Avatar, Aang was ordered to be separated from his mentor, Monkey Atso. Upset, Aang ran away from his home, where he encountered a deadly storm, causing him to fall into the water, activating the Avatar state, trapping him within an iceberg. Meanwhile, Iroh tells the ship's crew Zuko's story. After speaking out of turn at a war meeting, Zuko was punished by being forced to fight an Agni Kai against his own father. His refusal resulted in him getting his scar and being banished for perceived cowardice. Meanwhile, Aang learns that Sokka and the fishermen are trapped in the storm. He rescues them, earning him the fishermen's respect. Zuko spots them, but lets them go, instead opting to rescue his crew and escape the storm. I just felt so bad for Aang, and I feel like that's always just how I <laughs> open every single episode ever. It's just me feeling so bad for this 12-year-old with all of this pressure, especially with the dream at the beginning. It felt like even more so than letting the world down, it felt like really the weight for Aang was letting Gyatso down, and I just felt really bad for him. And I really loved, I forgot that detail that after Aang ran away, that Gyatso came back to his room and was like, I'm gonna make sure this doesn't happen. And like, he tried to reassure Aang, but by then it was too late. Mm-hmm. So I like that we got to see Gyatso again. I feel like that was so much sadder now as an adult mm-hmm. watching it, to like see him come in and say, I won't let them take you away from me, and Aang's already gone, and then he dies without knowing whatever happened to Aang. Yeah. And it's really tragic. And no, it's just like, it's scary. Aang is still just a kid. Mm-hmm. He is an airbending master. He was the only kid that had the, the tattoos, but he was still a super naive 12-year-old. And obviously, we know he didn't even make it very far. It's not like he got to a town or something and things happened. He, he never even made it to another piece of land before the storm overtook him and he froze himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the discussion when the monks were trying to determine whether or not they're going to tell him and what the right thing to do, I was just very... I wasn't sure how to feel because I understand where, where the other monks were coming from. Like, no, we have to prepare him because we know what's going to happen and Gyatso mm-hmm. trying to just, like, have as much balance as he can for Aang's mm-hmm. own sake. But, yeah, that's a this is, like, a really crazy moral dilemma. Yeah, I was feeling because it's also for me, it was just they don't tell them until they're 16. And Aang is, of course, 12. So I was also like, what do you plan to have him do? Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess that's what they would have done is they would have just like expedited his training for the other elements and he would have been sent to different places. But it still just was like, how is he supposed to contribute to stopping this war when he's just a 12 year old but it sounded like they wanted him ready to to intervene in like a global war as soon as possible yeah that's kind of how i saw it was that they told him early so that they could start you know introducing him to other bending styles and then maybe uh, i know he was supposed to go meet roku was one of the things so they probably Mm. were gonna have him do that earlier than when he was 16 yeah i know gyatso said like when you're ready right back in you mean back in uh the flashback with the with the cakes when he was like oh there's someone when you're ready you can go through the doors and there will be someone there to help you yeah yeah so yeah i just 
they told him early so they could expedite the entire process, give him the most fighting chance that he would have to mm-hmm. have an effect in the war. The whole thing makes me feel kind of weird, and I feel this way about Korra, too. The start of Korra, you know, she's at the tail end of mastering three of the elements, and then Air is the final one she has to master, and she's basically lived on a compound her whole life under the protection of the White Lotus, and her life has been very much controlled. So her initial, like, breaking out and moving and stuff is, like, you know, her just trying to seek out freedom, and... I feel like Aang kind of saw that future for himself. Like, he panicked because he immediately just saw his life, like, laid out. And, like, his life was no longer his own. Mm -hmm. And, like, that is the duty of being an avatar. But, like, he is still a child. And he can only understand that so much, even as a master airbender, even as a monk, even as an air nomad. You know, whatever it is. Like, he's still just a kid. Um, And, of course, obviously, it, it did properly freak him out. And he ran away. But it just makes me feel like they almost took this process and again I understand there was a war and like they felt like they probably didn't have a choice but it's like they took this this process that's like naturally occurring in the world and like they like they automated it almost where it's like they take that like they, like they have like a process for the avatars even Roku same thing he like had to you know follow the steps and do the thing and it made me curious about like past avatars before like their current civilization was more established like how they kind of just like probably like wandered around the world kind of just like dealing with it on their own like I don't know it just made me think about that sort of thing more yeah I think the process of becoming the avatar was something that I was confused about it seemed like everyone knew it was going on except for Aang and then it's just like is there an avatar job description or is it literally just like you are figuring it out as you go along and that's part of the process and I think that that's so stressful especially because you're expected to save the world but like what does that mean and what is the enemy mm-hmm. and I, I don't know I'm just like what yeah. is this and I'm so confused yeah I yeah because it's like there were avatars during peaceful times and like their job like they didn't have like a job in that way yeah. they probably just like tr- traveled the world and just kind of like said hi to people <laughs> you know and like just like, like existed I don't yeah. know Try to their job the was to maintain balance like Kyoshi that was not wartime and she did that Chin the Conqueror thing because she was just like I'm gonna stop this war from starting because I'm the avatar yeah yeah like I mean I know they've delved into it outside of this actual show but like uh the air nomad um avatar before Aang Yang Yang Chen Yang Chen Chen, Yang Chen the pronunciations in this show oh yeah yeah Yang Chen um, where she, I've read, was, like, a very, not militant, but she did everything she could, like, to maintain peace, and she was so, like, I've seen people say the word, like, vicious, or maybe not vicious, but I don't know. Cutthroat. Cutthroat, I guess. I don't know, where mm. she cut down anything before it started, that mm-hmm. when the next Avatar, Kurok, took over, there was, like, nothing for him to do. Oh, yeah, he was, like, was super like, chill. Yeah. yeah, he was, like, super chill. And then he... He's like, I surfed, and it's just like, all right, bro. Yeah. Yeah, and then he died really early. Yeah. Ugh. So. And then, like, his, like, wife died. Yeah. That sucks, so... Good time. It's just like, okay, so... He wasn't able to deal with the spirits the way the Avatar's supposed to be able to do. Yeah. I just feel like Aang just entered a company where, like, you think everything is fine, and then you realize it's a shit show, and you have no choice because you can't like back out of this job you know like and it's just like well fuck like i have nothing to- <laughs> this is too 
there's I'm no like one, no one to onboard him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except he didn't even like apply for this job and go into it knowingly. They just kind of were like, hey, come to the principal's office and uh, find out that you are now. <laughs> I imagine them bringing him to just like a big warehouse, like a room. And because the, they're like, oh, you picked from thousands of toys. And I was like, did he did they just like drop him in a room with like just a, all these toys, like just a vast, like a gymnasium full of toys? <laughs> I was thinking about that too, where I was like, I, obviously they must do it with every baby who's born within a certain time period after Roku dies, died. Yeah. And I'm like, are they all in the room together? Do they do each <laughs> baby one at a time? Like, how many babies do they have to go through? And like, <laughs> like you could be lucky and he could be like within the first five. Or they could be searching for like years. Yeah, and there's four air temples, so do they yeah. have to like carry the thousands of toys? Well, I saw on the Avatar wiki that this is like the same process that they use in Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah. To figure out who is the next, and I'm probably gonna say this like wrong. Tulku mm. Lama. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm like Miko's not in the room. Otherwise, I'd ask our our resident Buddhist, but. Yeah. But he he and I that led us to like larger like picture questioning like the air nomad like lifestyle and like because mm. Miko was like saying how most monks at temples like this are orphans and he's like oh like it's extra sad because like they're all probably orphans and I was like well they can't all be orphans because they're it's their entire population are air nomads and I'm like I don't know how big they are I'm like obviously I don't think they're as populous as the fire nation or the earth kingdom just because they don't have as much land and it's like obviously not every air nomad is an airbender and I was like I assume if you are born an airbender you get put into the temples because then part of it he was like oh well like there are no women and I was like I don't think that's because obviously like Yang Chen the last avatar that was an airbender is a woman um and I feel like there have been flashbacks and stuff where like we have seen women airbenders Mm -hmm. but I don't I don't know if it's confirmed in the show or not but I guess I always thought like two of the air temples are all men and two are all Mm. women is that, right. is that what was my was how I have been thinking about it, but now I don't know if that's based on any fact. I feel like I've seen it on the wiki, mm. so that makes me think that it was confirmed somewhere. And as a as a funny side note, they were like, "We're gonna send Aang to the Eastern Air Temple to complete his training," but the Eastern Air Temple is one of the ones that's all women. So, mm. <laughs> mind you, we we are not positive that this is true. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that could also, that could be even something that somebody asked in, like, a Q&A line at a convention or something, and Mike, mm-hmm. Mike and Brian, like, just answered. Um, but yeah, but for me, it was, like, there were, like, bigger questions about the Air Nomads. Yeah. Because um, it also, for me, then it's also, like, cool, well, then, when do they have kids? Like, how? Like, yeah. you know, and I don't care who Aang's parents are. That's not important. That's mm-hmm. not even what I'm saying. But it's literally just, like... How is that even like decided? Like if people never meet, and then is that true if you're not benders and you're not monks per se? And do you have to be a monk if you're an airbender? Like it just made me like spiral in terms of like when you're born into like the water tribe or you're born into the earth kingdom, you know, your bending is your own thing. Like you just have it and it's a thing and it doesn't put you into any particular job where it's like if you're a fire nation. If you're a firebender, there's a good chance you probably, they probably have, like, required military service. If you're really good, you probably get, like, 
put into a job or something. Um, the air nomads, it seems like you become a monk if you want to learn airbending. Um, so yeah, it just made me like overthink the, the like structures of like the different countries. According to the wiki, it's the north and the south are exclusively men. East, west are exclusively women. Ah, yeah. I didn't. Know that. I mean, they must intermingle because bending in this show is like genetic, right? Yeah. So. Although there was that thing with the twins that one time. But that I remember Mike and Brian saying that they did the twins specifically to show that like some people can get it and some people can't. Mm-hmm. That it is like any other kind of genetic trait. Mm-hmm. Um. First of all, when they were like, we're going to send him to the Eastern Air Temple. Later on, that's where the guru is. So, oh, yeah. In a way, he does complete his, or continue his training there. That's cool. Eventually, a hundred years later. Yeah. <laughs> is that where they go? I don't remember where, um, where was the group with um, the the boy in the wheelchair? Northern. I think that was the northern. Yeah. Because they go and to then, each one once. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And the only one, this is like useless information, but the only air temple that doesn't get that episode named after it is the guru. Mm. Because, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Fun fact. No, that's cool. <laughs> I, I mean, know. that's extra sad because that's like that. For me, that's also just like that the Fire Nation, like coordinated attacks on different places all at once. And it's just like, who does that? Like, <laughs> come on, guys. Well. Uh, (laughs) I know that Nicole you wanted to bring up one more thing I wrote down that line where um, Uncle Chan and Dalong Wong are arguing in this uh... (laughs) (laughs) oh my god I don't get it I don't know why we're laughing (laughs) no (laughs) I could tell (laughs) okay 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 Explanation. Okay, I'm just like, can you please explain? <laughs> explanation. Uh, <laughs> I was just like not saying anything because I was just watching Abby's face. <laughs> I'm like, it sounds like you're not going to explain it, so I need to call it out. <laughs> okay, in Jackie Chan Adventures, the character Uncle, um, his voice actor is the same voice actor who is Gyatso. Okay, and. Also, in Jackie Chan Adventures, there was this sort of, like, counterpart to Uncle who was, like, an evil sorcerer whose name was Dao Long Wong. And mm-hmm. he, that voice actor, was the voice actor of the, the Dower Monk in this monk episode. Kashi, so, apparently. Yes. Okay. I recognize that monk's voice because he also plays Chi Fu in Mulan. And I only know yes. because, like, of his high-pitched, irritating voice where he's yelling at everybody. So I think mm. it's, like, his nature to, like, voice act like a cranky old Asian man. <laughs> or, like, a middle-aged guy. He does it well. So like, oh, okay, I see that you have, like, a type. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then there's we. For me, it was, like, I kept fixating on uh, Poe's dad from Kung Fu Panda. Oh, yeah, Poe's dad! But he's, yeah, he's a happy, he's a happy character. It is funny how, like, there are just, like, I guess, you know, certain Asian voice actors, like old men characters <laughs> that like just keep getting the same kind of work, you know, for good or bad. You know, I'm not even going to, we're not going to get into that right now, but. You know, they have this little conversation on point where Gyatso's like, all I want is what's best for Aang. 
Mm-hmm. And the monks argue with him. They say, but what we need is what's best for the world. And I was just like, that's it. That's the show. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, literally his, like, problem all the way through the end of the show. Mm-hmm. He didn't want it. True. He just yeah. wanted to play on his air scooter, and no one wanted to play with him anymore, and that really made me feel sad. I know, yeah. I felt so bad. I was like, if you were gonna still let him play with you when he's a master airbender, the fact that you just found out that he's the Avatar doesn't change anything about his abilities. Yes. Yes. I, I wrote down, like, poor baby, let him play with you. I just felt so bad yeah. for yeah. him. Oh, and poor Aang is, like, going through all this stress. He's talking about how he didn't want this. He didn't expect it. He didn't know what to feel because it's not like he ever thought it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a little interesting. There was, like, this little thing where Katara was like, what? You weren't excited to be the Avatar? Yeah. And I was like, of course you would say that, Katara. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I also was, like, trying to be, like, mindful of not just immediately being, like, girl, like, knock it off, like, but, because I feel like that's the same, it's almost like celebrity culture today, where I feel like young kids are just, like, who wouldn't want to be, like, a rock star or an actor or whatever, and I feel like as older people now, while we could, like, appreciate the financial security that a job like that has, it's just, like, we're like aware that there's so much de- negativeness to to jobs like that that are so mm-hmm. visible. Yeah, and I feel like that's like sort of the equivalent that Ang would be. You know, every time everywhere he goes, it's like, does he tell people? And I got I got mad at Katara though because she immediately like outed him. Yeah. Like the guy was like, "You're the Avatar, aren't you?" And like he was like clearly like like maybe I should lie, and she's like, "Sure is." And I was like, "This bitch!" Like I was very frustrated. <gasps> Just repeating that. what she did. At the Great Divide. Yeah. She came, I know, that's what I'm saying. I was just like, haven't you learned, like, this always leads to him getting involved in stuff he doesn't want to get involved mm-hmm. in. I feel like she doesn't realize how much conflict internally that he has yeah. with being the Avatar. Yeah. I wonder if moving forward, I feel like that's something interesting that if, like, she, that stops happening now that she understands, like, this, this the context of him, right. like, being, like, kind of mixed about being the Avatar, like, maybe we'll see that change. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. I'm almost waiting yeah. for Aang to like sit her down and be like, "Listen, like this is impacting me, and I need you to stop doing that." Because at this point, he hasn't, so I can see why Katara, like, why well, I ran out of breath. I could see why Katara continues to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. she won't know any better unless someone corrects her. Yeah, I hope now that's. I feel like that's like this. That's what this episode is. Is like. Him being like, this is why I, like, I'm whatever. And Iroh's like, this is why he's such a twat. Yeah. And, like, excuse my French, but, like, he, like, you know, they, like, I mean, obviously, of course, at the start of the episode, they really, like, make Zuko out to be, like, a total, and he was a total dick. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, like, just to kind of be like, oh, but, like, there's two sides to every coin. And it's just, like, still a dick. Like, it's like, okay, cool. Like, now I understand you, but, like, also, you don't still get to treat people like that. Yeah. Like, oh, right. He he gets well, caught being a dick and then he doubles down on it. He did. <laughs> and then at the end of the down. episode, it's like, okay, I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. He learned his lesson a little bit. Yeah. I guess. I guess, like, before we, like, transition into Zuko's story, because there was a lot mm-hmm. of, like, comic relief that I appreciated from, like, Sokka. Uh, yeah. Starting up from, like, his dream. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, Sokka, it's not about you. And then 
apparently like he was the one that needed to get a job uh yeah. again and then Katara <laughs> shopping despite knowing Yo, you're that right. she has no money I'm just like girl why are you and I totally am for window shopping but you're here talking to this merchant shaking yeah. this weird ass watermelon that's like so suspicious and she's like oh I just realized I have no money I was like no merchant's ever gonna talk to you ever again so I was just like why are you oh doing my god. this Oh my god. They had gathered a whole basket full of food (laughs) at that point that they had to get back. And then that lady just kicked Sokka in the ass. I don't blame her. (laughs) There was a Uh, lot going on. That like the like fisherman and his wife were also hilarious. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So many good one liners from them. It was a good break. I mean the old guy was was kind of a jerk. Knowing his worth in this episode. Again. Very good. Just Sokka, still being Sokka, very, like, he's being, like, reliable when he was going on the boat, and they were like, Sokka, no, there's totally gonna be a storm, and he was like, I said I would do it, so I'm gonna do it, I'm not just mm-hmm. gonna break my word, and, yo, at the end, when he was like, you're you're still gonna pay me, though, I did my job, you should pay me. Thinking ahead and logistics. And then he just got handed a fish. <laughs> yeah. After all that, he literally oh. almost died. Oh, also, when the guy was like, I'll give him a fish, and Aang was like, I'm a vegetarian. I was like, take the fish for your hungry friends, oh Aang. Yeah. Oh, my God. Fish isn't me. I, I was frustrated that Sokka still agreed to the job after the red flag of, I'll pay you double. And then, like, who said anything about paying double? I was like, Sokka, that's a red flag. Like, you yes. don't commit to people. Like, you get it in writing. He doesn't know Like, yet. you have witnesses. He doesn't know. I know. Yeah. I, I have know. to learn the tough way, you know? And also... That's, like, his wife. So this man is, like, paying his wife to go fishing with him? Hmm? He pays her in a fish that they split. Therefore, she gets half a fish. He gets the other half at dinner time. That's why he gave a whole fish to Sokka at the end. Therefore, paying him double. Damn. It sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> and then Zuko comes in and steals the entire fish. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Speaking of our angry little Zuko, boy. Zuko, Zuko. <laughs> I guess we should uh Yeah, we can dive into the B the B plot. The B plot. Yeah. I don't know. This episode is like very heavy. Mm. I I feel like this is definitely like one of those episodes that is like not impossible to understand i'm not even saying that but it's like more difficult to understand as a kid versus as an adult mm-hmm. and like really understanding the weight of like just like someone getting disowned and like somebody you know on top of all the other tra- traumatic things like even like the physical harm and stuff yeah and like yeah like ang being locked into like a situation like that where it's like i don't mm-hmm. know i couldn't think of anything like quite relatable um that like I might have been going through even just like at the time I was watching it um to like get it I think that's fair there was a lot going on even with Zuko's um like his own dilemma of you know Mm -hmm. being injured from his father for speaking Mm -hmm. up to protect people at the expense of the Fire Nation I think that that was such a complex thing that he was going through and his excitement to be in the room talking about Mm -hmm. war strategy or at least sitting in on it um Mm -hmm. there was so much going on yeah and it's like you wonder too if 
I mean, Uncle was always going to look after Zuko, after, especially after, like, losing his own son, but then you can't help but, like, wonder if Uncle also felt a bit guilty mm. for being the one that let him into the room. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, it's it's not even, like, Iroh couldn't have known that that's what was going to happen. Right. Um, even if he told Zuko, like, keep your mouth shut, like, just, you're just there to observe, like, you know, Zuko still spoke out, and Zuko probably mm-hmm. didn't think it was that bad either. He was like, yeah, we're here. We're having a meeting. Like we're supposed to be discussing things. He probably didn't even see it as like a big issue to to bring up a a contrary point or like another perspective. And then of course it blew up. Like in my opinion, it did blow up very disproportionately. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, the issue wasn't what he said. Cause I do, cause Ira even says like Zuko was right. Yeah. And I think as a viewer, you're supposed to agree with that and see like, oh, he's a good person. Like, he's a kind-hearted person who cares about his people. Yeah. But the issue wasn't what he said. It was that he spoke up at all. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't his place Mm -hmm. to talk. And, of course, it was a completely disproportionate um, reaction. Yeah. But his dad already didn't like him. Yeah, which is, yeah, a whole other thing. Honestly, though, I wrote that down when that happened, that when Ira was like, Zuko was right. But it was not his place to speak out. And I was like, this is how history is not made, right? Like, all the civil rights movements, things like that, it's always someone has to stand up and speak out and be like, this is not okay. And all the people who are like, well, I know it's not good, but Mm -hmm. I, it's who who am I to say anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, like, always the people who are technically breaking the law that are the ones, like, leading the the moral charge forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, like, that was something, too, where I was, like, if they really wanted to, like, make sure Zuko knew his place to not speak up, I was also, like, don't sit him at the table. Like, have him sitting in, like, the side area. Like, observe, like you know, I felt like he probably felt more emboldened mm-hmm. to speak up because he was, he probably felt, he literally had a place at the table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he also probably just was like, yeah, I'm here. Like, I'm contributing. And it's like, no, like, you should sit, like, a few feet behind or something. You know, I'm sure that's all stuff Iroh would have been, like, replaying in his head over and over again. Of, like, I should have done this. I should have, like, kept him yeah. aside. I should have just said no. And it's just, like, this man has so much guilt and, and yeah. masks it, like, with so much joy and, like, it makes mm-hmm. it extra sad. Mm-hmm. I feel like he definitely feels guilty. Probably not even not even just for letting him in the room, mm-hmm. but for not intervening and for letting it happen. Like when he, you know, he looks away and when he talks about him looking away, I feel like there's a lot of shame in that mm-hmm. that he yeah. couldn't even watch what happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let alone like I, I mean, I don't know if he would have been able to do anything in mm-hmm. particular to stop it mm-hmm. but I also thought it was interesting that he said like Zuko misunderstood but I'm mm-hmm. like was it only Zuko who misunderstood did everybody else who was in the room know that the Agni Kai was going to be Zuko versus his dad I mean Azula you know looked like I mean? she knew yeah well, yeah her but... first appearance too obviously literally her first appearance and she's just like yes <sighs> yeah what a vicious little 11 year old honestly She's just like, sweet, I'm going to be the next Fire Lord now. I can't. I mean, she probably knew that that was the case from even before then. It was official from that point. I don't know. I guess, like, uh, I I guess the misunderstanding, if you speak up at all, that means you're speaking against the Fire Lord, right? 
Mm-hmm. So I guess that's kind of where everyone knew. Everyone quote mm-hmm. unquote knew. Um, yeah. It's just. Yeah. But who knows, like, if Zuko hadn't said anything, maybe someone else would have. It's. I don't think so. I mean, one, they... I mean, the one guy said, like, those are recruits, like, new recruits. Like, why do you think that they would be able to handle it? And, like, there could have been more discussion. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, like, fair. give them too much credit because they're colonizing the, the whole world. world. But, like, um, I don't, you don't know if there would have been any blowback from anybody else. Because, like Iroh said, he was right. So maybe Iroh would have said something. Maybe not. Yeah. I, I don't, don't know. know. The whole point of this is just to set up stuff. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. We're, like, we're here to overanalyze. That's what we do. Yeah. But, yeah, I do think it's important. Like, what he gets challenged to the Agni Kai over, I think, is speaks yeah. a lot to his character, though. Yeah. Yeah. And this is kind of the first time where, like, oh, maybe he's not a bad guy yeah. mm-hmm. kind of thing. He's still a jerk. Oh, yeah. Like, at the beginning, you know, he makes a comment about how he doesn't need Uncle keeping order on his ship. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's just like, how do you not have the awareness to realize your uncle is the one keeping these people here? It was a strategic move for him to sit at the fire with them and level with them. Like, that mm-hmm. was still Uncle Meddling for Zuko's benefit. Yeah. It wasn't just, like, he happened to be there. He was just like, nope, I'm going to deal with this. Because, this is like, you know, he, like, sees the problems way ahead of time. I mean, he obviously has a lot of anger. And then also, he's, like, so obsessed with gaining his father's approval. He probably feels like he needs to be constantly proving himself mm-hmm. and therefore constantly in charge what he says goes and you know he's obsessed with finding the avatar and that's another thing that like when i watched it as a kid i guess it did register that the search for the avatar was impossible technically when he was sent out Mm -hmm. yeah but as an adult watching it you're like wow his dad really sent him on a wild goose chase like this banishment was permanent in all but name you know Mm -hmm. he gave him an impossible task and like that is i feel like i keep saying the word tragic but i mean it's cruel it is yeah it's horribly cruel i don't know it makes me so curious what ozai looks like i don't know what he looks like and they keep alluding to him as this like mysterious evil figure so i think that's pretty cool yeah yeah. And this is, this is I think, the first time we hear him talk. And I yeah. do know he's voiced by Mark Hamill, who yes. is Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yes. Um, and it is the Joker. He's a, he After Star Wars, he moved almost permanently into voice acting. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a very interesting parallel. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a post on Tumblr that was, like, comparing Zuko to Luke Skywalker as a character. Yeah. And then also, like, Kylo Ren, but in a joking way, where it was, like, <laughs> obviously not. Because they were like, oh, people like to compare them because everybody likes to compare their redeemed character to Zuko and they're never Zuko right and I think I saw something that was like this storm is Dante Bosco who plays Zuko's favorite episode because he related Zuko to Luke Skywalker in this episode while he was talking to Mark Hamill yeah Uh, yeah I saw there was a recent interview with Dante Bosco where he talks about this actually Iroh, I love that Zuko just apologizes and he immediately forgives him. Yeah. yeah. That's always the case throughout the show. It's just like, mm-hmm. he'll, he always immediately forgives and Zuko just takes forever to like apologize. Yeah. But Iroh's always ready for him. It works on so many levels when he says that the Avatar gives Zuko hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thinking about Iroh too. Iroh redirects the lightning. Yes. Yes. But clearly does not have the hang of it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting there and I was like, oh, I wonder if this was more of like a joke. Because obviously like when a cartoon character gets electrocuted, they always look zappied. And then it made me wonder if they already knew lightning bending was going to be a thing moving forward. Like it just like, I don't know off the top mm-hmm. of my head. 
I think we said this, I don't know if we said it in, in the show or not, about, like, like, firebending, there being, like, different levels of, like, like, the Agni. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure well, I well, I'll reiterate. <laughs> um, you know, talking about lightning bending, which it's, like, a facet of firebending, and people were talking about, like, that doesn't make sense scientifically. And I don't remember even where I saw this. It could have been Tumblr or Reddit. I don't mm-hmm. know. The bending is all based more on spirituality than it is mm-hmm. on actual science. So Agni is Hindu. Yeah. And they believe it exists on three planes. So on Earth is fire, in the sky is lightning, and then above that is the sun, which mm-hmm. is firebending in the show. Yeah, which is super cool. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Like, I was like, oh, lightning redirection, and it's played as a gag in this yeah. episode. <laughs> you know, his hair is all frazzled. Yeah, okay, you put it very much more succinctly than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's played as a gag. Yeah, and it made me yeah. question how far out they thought about lightning right. bending. And then it has, like, such a great payoff later. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, so few people can lightning bend in mm-hmm. this show. Yeah. Because I think he explains it's like you need to be like completely devoid of, I don't want to say devoid of emotion, but you need to be like completely calm. So I thought it was funny that they played it as a gag. And I kind of wish that like every time someone redirected lightning that they would continue to have their hair be like that. (laughs) When Iroh, when he would sit at the campfire, there were really cool images of the fire, like the way the fire was shot, that he was like in the middle of the fire. Mm. Um, And that was one of those framing things that I just really liked. Um, It was very well composed. And then it was funny because I was thinking that and then they cut to the next shot and it was like Appa was the one in the fire. And I was like, so deep. (laughs) (laughs) Appa's too big. What you gonna do? It was nice that he apologized at the end. Yeah. We talked about that. That also is like a nice parallel with what happened with his father where he begged for forgiveness and his yeah. father mutilated him. Yeah. Yo. You know, he's immediately forgiven, which I don't know. Their relationship is great. Yeah. But I also like that at the end, Lieutenant G was like, what should we do, sir? And I was like, oh, immediate kind of respect for this kid who 10 minutes ago, he's like, I want to toss this shit off the boat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was pretty obvious that when he was just ranting with his buddies about Zuko, when he use no titles he was just like who does zuko think he is Mm -hmm. i felt like for a kid's show that was the appropriate conclusion to the setup and the payoff but adult me was a bit more like "Mm, you still have to show respect to be respected and as far as zuko knows he still hasn't shown any respect to these people Mm -hmm. so i was a little bit more like buddy like zuko needs to work harder for your respect right he appreciated that zuko while in the beginning said that the crew's safety doesn't matter was then the first person up the ladder to try to catch the helmsman and specifically very chose the crew's safety over chasing the Avatar. You could argue that Zuko also... Was on the boat? Well, yes, but he had time to reflect and he he knew if his uncle disapproved of what he did, he's probably wrong. And we're at the very beginning of his journey. Yeah. So I feel like he's not going to be a reasonable person yet. Oh, no, I know. But again, that's what I'm saying. It's like the guy suddenly 180 and was like a reasonable person. And then Zuko wasn't because Zuko gets a character arc. And obviously this guy is like not important, quote unquote. Yeah, but I guess it's also that he's an adult. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're an adult and you see a child who's been clearly abused and the child's an asshole to you, I feel like the response is not to be an asshole back to the child. But normally that child isn't making decisions that endanger you and everybody you work with. Like, that child also was handed a military ship and complete control over these people. Yeah, I get that. But he did show that he made the right choice at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, kids show. They can't go into, like, everything. I feel like if Zuko had made the wrong choice, then G probably would have argued with him. 
again for me as as an adult it's just like oh like there's a little more nuance to this but I understand why this went the way it was and it's fine and I would also think that it's not a complete redemption in G's eyes it's just like in this particular moment like I'll allow it and Mm -hmm. then just continue giving him the chance is how I read it I think it's interesting that the crew didn't know in the first place about what happened Mm. there was obviously an audience at the Agni Kai so then it makes you think about what kind of propaganda Mm. the Fire Nation put out about the whole situation to make people not know the truth if the crew that is with Zuko I assume they're the people who've been with him since he was banished and like even they don't know the actual story I don't have anywhere to go with that it's just I just think it's interesting that they didn't know And I understand also it being a show that that's a device to then inform the audience. Yeah. The situation. But it makes you think about the implications. But the show's not above giving us information entirely in flashback that the characters already know, so. That's true. Like Zuko alone. True. But I was just like, Gyatso was 100% a member of the White Lotus. Yo, he was playing Pai Show with Aang and he used the White Lotus tile. Boom. Yeah. Confirmed. Gyatso really, like, is the best dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he said in this episode that he's Aang's guardian. And I was like, not all the monks? Not, how does this work? I'm not sure. That made sense to me that they they probably get assigned, like, kids, like, to manage more individually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like a camp counselor has a group of kids. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good. Because I didn't think about it very much until this very moment. I was just like, what? <laughs> like, for, I had been operating under, like, a it-takes-a-village mentality with the n- nomads until that point. Mm. Or is it because he's the avatar that he has? Like, a homeroom monk? I feel like that would be an argument for him to have a whole bunch of people as opposed to only one. Mm. He was the only kid that was already a master so for me it's like surprising that he already didn't feel like oh i'm a little bit different than these other kids Mm -hmm. could just get hand waved as like oh you're a prodigy or whatever yeah yeah before they found out he was the avatar none of the kids treated him differently yeah at all like that was more a red flag for me it's just like bro like why would you have let this air master in your games even before you knew he was the avatar like Mm -hmm. i mean that's just like if i'm thinking about elementary school We play games with all the kids in the class. Mm -hmm. And some of them, everyone knows which ones are the smart kids and which ones are the athletic kids. And, like, we just let it go. Yeah. Ugh, childhood. Oh, man. The only other thing that I was, like, thinking about was Katara. Like, her argument with Aang was, you know, it was meant to be this way, the way it Mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. That made me mad. Yeah. When I was a kid, I was very much one of those, like, everything happens for a reason. And then the older I got, the more I kind of recognized that a lot of those kinds of sentiment are layered behind a lot of different privilege that, like, you are or aren't aware of. Mm -hmm. So I was, like, sitting there and I was just like, I get you're trying to comfort him, but I fundamentally disagree. (laughs) You are comforting him by telling him that all your people were meant to be killed and that the world was meant to be at war for a hundred years because you weren't there. The implications, I was just like, Katara. (laughs) I felt like the only good point she had in her speech was that he could have been killed if he was there, which is legitimate. Like, no one knows what could have happened. And I was thinking about that too. But the thing I was excited dying her the most about was when she was like the world needs you now i'm like the world needed the world been needing 100 years ago though like (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was 100 years stop katara literally says at every episode when the world needed him most he finished (laughs) (laughs) 
like, Katara, did you sure. forget again literally everything you do? <laughs> how many times did you record those lines, Katara? You should know. <laughs> Katara, how many times did you bend water that you couldn't see? We know. <laughs> I'm literally not going to let that go. <laughs> I actually did start wondering like, okay, what would have happened if Aang had stayed and died? Because obviously if he had gone Avatar State and then died, that would have been really bad because the Avatar cycle would have been broken. Yeah. If he had died not in the Avatar State, I'm like, he would have been reborn as a waterbender. And then I was like, maybe that's why the water tribes were so ravaged. Like the Fire Nation were like, okay, we killed the airbenders. Now time to go to the water tribes and get all their waterbenders and find the next Avatar. Yeah. I don't know, but hmm. that was just something I was thinking about. How do you break a cycle of incarnation? If you kill the avatar while they're in their avatar state, the oh, cycle breaks. okay, got it. If he died in his normal state, the next one would just be born. Okay. Mm-hmm. They explore that in Korra. Mm. Speaking of the avatar state, <laughs> when he kind of goes avatar state for a split second in the cave because he's really angry, and then he like apologizes, and I'm sure part of that is because, you know, he went out of control, he blew the fire, but he was like, oh, sorry, sorry. I was like, Aang is not allowed to be angry. Conceal, don't feel. Like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> Can we cut this out? I hate Frozen. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, uh... though, I was like, Okay, so what? Aang is not allowed to be angry now? He always has to stay balanced and zen because he's supposed to be the Avatar and he's the happy air nomad monk and he can't have all these selfish feelings of wanting things for himself because his responsibility is to the world over himself. I feel like if you're the guru, you're like, yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. Exactly. What a jerk. Again, that is an unfair thing for a child is like Mm. you not being seen as your full human self and like your humanity arguably is like taken away from you because you have a bigger, there's like a greater good Mm -hmm. that you didn't ask for. So he can only go into the avatar state if he's like in strife because that's what's happening. At the moment. Okay. Eventually, it's a thing you should be able to control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now it's like duress slash yeah. intense emotion. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I didn't read it as like, sorry for being angry. I thought it was just like, mm. sorry, I was about sorry. to shit up in this state that I'm in. Yeah, that's how I interpreted yeah. it. Too. Oh, I thought it was like, sorry, I lost control, but. Well, yeah, but. I see both. Yeah. Maybe that's just me because I'm always apologizing for losing control of my emotions. <laughs> Yeah, I'm almost I'm almost compelled to say like Aang would not apologize for his emotions because men aren't socialized to apologize for that. They're allowed yeah. to have them and express them. So that's why I, I'm I think he's just apologizing for almost fucking shit up in the Avatar state. Aang is very in touch with his feminine side, though, but as long as we're talking about. <laughs> I'm just saying that is a whole thing I can't wait to talk yeah. about. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> speaking of the Avatar state. Another nice parallel is that when he goes into the Avatar state the second time in the episode in the water, I feel like that's a nice parallel to what happened a hundred years ago. Yeah. Mm. But this time, instead of freezing himself to save himself, he gets everybody out of the water. And it makes you think about when he froze himself a hundred years ago, he was running away from everything and kind of wanted to disappear. And I feel like that's why he ended up freezing. Or like this time, he's like accepted a little bit more, I think. Yeah. What being Avatar means. And he was able to not. Could you imagine if they froze in another iceberg? It, It made me sad, though. I like had a thought that it was almost 
the first time around, he didn't have a reason to keep going. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't feel like he, his own self-worth and, like, his own stuff was worth saving. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time, it was, like, he cares more about, like, saving these people. And, like, he has, like, more of a reason. And I'm not trying to... I feel like it is still, like, a self-worth thing. And, like, it just, like, it made me really sad. Mm. But now he has a support system. Mm-hmm. Except when Katara fucking signs him up for side quests. Katara. She's way too earnest. His anti-support system. Then his support system is just Sokka sarcasm. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and will Abby ever pick Katara as the MVP ever? No. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's only episode 12. Everybody has a lot of growing to do. (laughs) On that note, any final thoughts? No. Just, it was sad. No. Yeah. So, um, there was zero added today to the honor count. Because it was spoken, but it wasn't by Zuko. Mm -hmm. Still at three. Any quotes? Or like moment, mo moment. There wasn't really any. Oh. There was well, no, not really moment. any mo moment. There was like he like sadly ate the crumbs from the And bag. then Sokka was like, in my dream, Momo could talk, and oh, he yeah. said nothing but yeah. bad things. <laughs> yeah, you said some really mean things. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I thought it's technically two lines, but it's another. This episode is just like shush. This episode is just full of parallels. So when Katara is talking with Aang and she says, you give people hope. And then Jen, you already mentioned this earlier when Mm. Iroh says, the Avatar gives Zuko hope. I was like, damn, I don't know. That's just like very good writing. Same. I think it's so funny that the last episode was arguably the worst one (laughs) of the whole show. And then this episode is arguably one of the best episodes in the entire show. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. It was planned. That was my moment too, so Nicole or Abby. I really liked when Iroh was telling everyone about Zuko's tragic backstory and Lieutenant Xi was like, that's why he's so obsessed with capturing the Avatar because it's the only chance he has of things returning to normal. And then Iroh counters, things will never return to normal. Also because that just sort of goes into something Stephanie and I have been kind of talking about in general in terms of Zuko and child abuse and learning to understand it and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite line, again, is a Sokka line. I think I am gravitating towards like the, the parts that made me laugh because I think the really sad parts really wanted to make me cry mm-hmm. is when they were right about to go to the market and then Sokka says, we can't go to the market. Something bad happened in my dream. So they said, what happened? And he said, the food eats people. And I was like, why is this so stupid? <laughs> I really like that line. And it had the weary, oh, like, twilight, eerie Twilight Zone-ish music. Yeah. It would have been funny if then a giant fish tried to eat Sokka <laughs> in the storm. Oh my god. I also want to give like a runner up for my favorite line was when Sokka's like, I'm too young to die. And the fisherman's like, I'm not, but I still don't want to. Yeah, I was like relatable. True. Oh my God. That guy would have been like the first one when they call for women and children to like push people out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, MVP. Let's start with Nicole. My MVP is the boiler room on Zuko's ship. I really appreciate it as a safe space where the crew can go to bitch about Zuko. Bless. <laughs> I love a safe space. Stephanie. <laughs> I actually had a really hard time with this because I wanted to give it to both Zuko and Aang. It's hard to pick which one of them, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just gonna cop out and not pick one of them. Word. So both of them. Abby. Uh, my MVP is Uncle Iroh. I think it really captured a lot of cool moral dilemmas to feel 
Uh, like you can't go against your brother or else you'll die, but you also want to protect the person that you love and feeling guilt for something that wasn't under your control is something that I really resonate with a lot. And I think that we all do. So I liked his presence in today's episode. Yeah. Uh, mine, it's Aang for me because he's definitely someone that's like, I can't change the past and it's like, I'm here now and I'm going to make the most of it. And I feel like that's something we all have to learn how to deal with when we think about regrets in our lives, obviously, hopefully at like a smaller scale. Yeah. And again, with Aang, it's arguably not even, it's not his fault. And I feel like that's, it's, you know, it's easier to say that to somebody versus them actually internalizing that and being able to move forward. Yeah, he's on his way. Mm-hmm. All right. Dun-dun-dun. This has been Pod Sing Say, an Avatar The Last Airbender podcast. Join us next week where we'll discuss Book 1, Episode 13, The Blue Spirit. If you haven't already, please be sure to leave a rating and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platform. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.